All lives matter. <laughs> There's a concern. Or we say, hey, we need to discuss this matter. There's a problem, right? And the heart is the center of who we are. It is the source of our thoughts, our emotions, our desires. It is our soul. Everything that comes from us comes from our heart. And our heart affects everything that we do. It affects the motives, uh, the things that we do, why we do it. It's the center of who we are. It is our core. And we're going to be discussing the heart today. Um, we are in a series in the book of Mark, as we all know. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 7. So let's go. Mark chapter 7, 1 says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, so, with some, with some of the, oh, sorry. Now when the, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come to the marketplace, they do not eat, eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked them, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is a gift given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And he called, he called the people to him again and said, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going, going into him. There is, sorry, there is, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, then are you also without understanding? You, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So if anybody's uh, paying attention... Oh, man, I'm sorry. Okay, anyway, so um, 
So our big idea is that God desires for us to worship him from genuine, from a genuine heart and to obey his word above the traditions of men. I'm asking you to join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you to thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us this blessing where you reveal yourself, where you reveal your heart, where you reveal your ways to us, Lord. And we surrender under the authority of your word. And we ask you, Lord, speak to us today. Build us up. Help us to be more and more like you, Jesus. And I pray that you may expose our hearts in order to heal our hearts and to uh, lead our hearts. Make our hearts hearts that go after you, Lord. Speak to us. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. Comfort where comfort is needed. Uh, direction where direction is needed, Lord. We just surrender to you. We ask you that you may have your way through your word today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so if any of you guys would pay attention, you guys notice that I skipped verse 16. I didn't like what it said, so I said, I'm just going to do away with it. I'm just kidding. Verse 16 uh, is not found in the latest manuscripts, but if you have it in your, your Bible version, it says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Has Jesus said that before? Yes. So it's okay. It's not a big deal. But I actually give credit to the, to the, uh, the translators that they, f- they felt, um, convicted that if it was, if they may have, if they, if they don't believe it was there, they didn't put it in there. But like I said, if your version says it, it's fine. It's not a big deal. But I know I didn't want people to say, hey, why do you skip, skip 16? If anybody noticed. But anyway, so like I said, the, the title of the message is The Heart Matters. And going back to the big idea, it says, God desires for us to worship Him from a genuine and authentic, a sincere heart and to obey his word above the traditions of men. So this is an important section of the book of Mark. Uh, during this time in this conversation, and we see that uh, we'll talk a little bit about it, but the Pharisees, they came and they were trying to trip Jesus up. They were ready against him, but they were not listening to what he was saying. They went to try to find something to go against him. Um, and it is in the middle of this conversation where uh, we are able to see and everybody was able to see that the religion of the Pharisees was very different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is a, a, a big uh, turning point in this book. Um, so the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, and they followed what was called oral law. And there's a difference between oral law and God's law. Oral law was written by the rabbis throughout history. And what they did is they tried to uh, give more specific direction to how to, how to follow the law of God. Now, they started probably with, with good intentions, trying to say, let me help these people out and teach them how to live out the word of God. But because our hearts are idol factories, as John Calvin says, they made an idol out of these oral traditions and out of these teachings. The, uh, the traditions were there and supposed to serve the people. There was supposed to be a hedge around the law to protect people from not uh, breaking the law. But they went, the, the oral tradition went from being a servant to being a master. The oral law uh, was something that the Jews follow. And what happens is, what started to happen is they started to lift up the oral law above the word of God. So the Pharisees, they interpreted 
the word of God with this oral law. They taught it and they also enforced the living out of these laws. So if they saw someone that was not living out the oral law, they had a problem with it. And um, I, I have uh, I grew up in a neighborhood that was right next to uh, a, a Hasidic Jewish neighborhood. And one day I was walking down my street and um, a man came outside and he goes, sir, can I bother you for a second? I was like, sure. And he said, can you come inside and put on my air conditioner? And I'm just like, and this happened, it's actually happened to me twice. And I'm just like, and he goes, oh, you know, today's the Sabbath. It was a Saturday and we're not allowed to do any work. And I remember, I remember thinking about that, like that, that's work. So they, what they did is they started to take when the Bible said to Sabbath to not work, they started to say, what does it mean not to work? And after rehashing and reinterpreting the law, they came up with the fact that you are not supposed to take past a certain amount of steps that day. Or you're not supposed to light a fire or you're not supposed to light up your air conditioner. So uh, so this is what they did. They took the law of God and reinterpreted it. Like when the Bible says do not take the Lord's name in vain, I had a, a Jewish teacher in high school. And when he would write God, he would write G-D. So... We're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain, but his that interpretation was that if you write the name of the Lord, now you're taking it in vain. So you see how everything becomes more and more specific, more and more binding. And it's not that these things are altogether bad if they want to live it out. But we're going to see that this, like I said, it started to lift up higher than the word of God. It became a, 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 uh, a measure of a person's morality. And they were judged by their knowledge of these laws, by the keeping of these laws, by the keeping of these external laws, by the keeping of these extra biblical laws. And they were not, again, they were not biblical laws, but they started acting like if they were. So, and what happens when we start to do this and we start to trust in these laws instead of the word of God, or we start to trust in our own work, it's something that's called legalism. Now, if you ask anybody, are you a legalist? There's nobody in the world that's going to say, yes, I'm a legalist. If you were to ask the Pharisees, are you a legalist? They would have said, no, we're not legalists. So legalism is something that hides in all of our hearts. It's something that affects all of us. And we're going to get into that a little bit more, but a definition for legalism is the direct or indirect attachment of behaviors, disciplines, and practices in order to achieve salvation, and what happened here? Sorry, just skipped up to the top. In order to achieve salvation and right standing with God. So legalism is, uh, like I said, attachment of behaviors. So there's a belief that we can do things to earn our salvation, or we can do things to maintain and hold our salvation. But we know that biblically, we are saved by grace. We are saved by faith. Now, does this mean that there are no works that come after that? No, but the works become a result of salvation, the result of God living inside of us. And I'm going ahead of myself. We'll go deeper into that later on. So um, we know that legalism is something that's very dangerous because it can become an idol. We, uh, these Pharisees, they were not serving God anymore. Now, they were not serving God according to his law. They were serving God until according to their own laws. Um, and we know that we can't rely on own, our own righteousness and our own righteousness and our own works. We, uh, like I said, are saved by faith, and this leads to the transformation of our hearts. When the when the Spirit of God comes inside of us, when we come to Jesus, 
that starts to transform our hearts and then our behaviors are transformed because our hearts are transformed. Like we said, the, the center of, our, of who we are is our heart. When Jesus comes into our lives and into our heart, then our lives start to transform. So we don't act certain ways in order to get Jesus into our heart. We have him in our hearts and this causes us to live a certain way. Amen? Everything in our growth and our relationship with God is from the inside out, not from the outside in. So, um, like I said, it, it, uh, legalism can be very dangerous. Um, it can give us false assurance of our salvation. And we can think that we're knocking it out of the park, but actually we're playing the wrong game. So uh, one day I was playing football, and I had a friend named George that used to play defensive line. I'm going to send him this video just to know that he made it onto my preaching. But um, he picked up the ball. Okay, fumble. I hope you guys know football. Picked up the ball, and he can just take the ball. You know, he stole, basically stole the ball from the other team. And he's running, and he's running, and he's full of joy. All this passion, all this zeal. And all of a sudden, he gets tackled by Tito, who was on our team. It was like, man, what are you doing? He's like, you're running the wrong way. You're about to score for the other team. So we know that the Apostle Paul realized at one point that he was running the wrong way. And he repented and he turned around and he gave his life to Jesus. He was running with passion. He was running with zeal. He was running with obedience to the law, to the oral law. But he was disobedient to God. He was running the wrong way. Legalism pushes us away from God and it causes us to have impure hearts and it basically jacks up our motives. Amen? Um, so when speaking about... I'm sorry, I always forget which way I'm going. All right. So when speaking about this, Paul in, in Romans 10.2 says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They had passion without understanding, without knowledge of what they were doing. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He thought he was doing the wrong thing. And sometimes legalism is not just, it's, it's actually sometimes it comes from a place where we either unable or we refuse to properly interpret the word of God. We hold on to some teachings that maybe are not interpreted properly and we run with passion with them. So it's not only uh, following laws, but to, uh, I mean, it's always following laws, but sometimes it's just that we just misunderstand scripture and we need a brother or sister to come to show us. So anyway, legalist lowers the bar. Legalism lowers the bar of holiness so that we can step over it. Because the bar of the holiness of God is a fence that we cannot jump. And that's why we needed Jesus to do it for us. But with legalism, we, 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 we pull it down to a place that we can jump over it. Amen? So legalism, uh, I mean, sorry. So what happens is we start elevating traditions. Uh, elevating traditions can make us judgmental. And again, we all have legalism in us. Because I don't want you to check out. He's not talking about me here. Yeah, I'm talking to all of you. And I'm talking to me also. We all have some legalism in us. All right? So um, elevating traditions can make us judgmental. These scribes came all the way from Jerusalem to join with the local Pharisees to pick on Jesus, to find like a mistake that he was making so they could pounce on him. 
And he saw that the disciples were eating bread with defiled hands. And uh, during their everyday lives, they would avoid uh, becoming unclean. Anything, anytime they could come in contact with anything that would touch a Gentile or a non-Jew, they had to go and do these ceremonial washings. So one thing that's to understand, they were not washing their hands because of germs. They, we didn't really understand that until hundreds of years later. So it wasn't something about being clean physically. It was about uh, ritualist being clean uh, ceremonially or ritual, ritualistic. Um, verse five says. Verse five says, and the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, "Why do you, your disciples, not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands?" So, um, what happens is they came and they. Approach. They were trying to find something that Jesus was doing wrong. Couldn't find anything, but they found something about his disciples, and they started to judge them, and to come and to to want to you know ask them, oh, why are you not doing this perfectly? You know, and and they were looking at the the speck in the in the disciples' eyes when they had a plank in theirs, and um and and just so you guys know, like with certain things, like they there was nothing wrong directly with them wanting to wash their hands. Like we have these traditions and they're okay. It's just when these traditions start. So when we have traditions and all of us have traditions, when we start to judge people according to our own traditions, that's when it becomes wrong. That makes sense? We, according to the word of God, yes, we can do that. But when we have traditions that are outside of the word of God, we cannot hold other people to these traditions and judge them. That makes sense? Matthew Henry, uh, said, this was a clean custom and no harm in it, but they placed religion on it. They enforced the, the observation of their own impositions as much as God's institution. So that's an interesting statement. They placed religion on it. So religion is how we uh, sort of like serve God and, and, and live for God, but they placed religion on their own traditions. Again, example, like let's say writing God and skipping the O. Now, I'm, I don't know my teacher if he was like this, but it's possible that he could have seen another person write the name of God and r- put the O there and be like, look at him. He's taking the Lord's name in vain and start to judge that person when biblically the law didn't say that. Those were his own traditions. That makes sense? So we could get so caught up in our tradition that we can totally miss God as these, uh, as, as these Pharisees did. They judged the disciples according to the tradition, but they missed the very Messiah that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. They watched the same miracles. They heard his, the same teaching. They saw him love people. They saw him feed the 5,000, the chapter before. They, they saw him deliver people that were demon-possessed. They saw him heal the sick. And all they got out of this was like, dude, your friends don't wash their hands. You know what I mean? Because of their the, the focus on their tradition, they missed the Messiah that they were waiting for. And sometimes this can happen when we are so focused on our tradition and enforcing them and judging others according to our tradition, we can miss what God is doing in the middle of it. True worship comes from a sincere heart. Verse 6 says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandment of men. And I'm sorry, I'm going to take a drink of water. 
right as we got here, I burned my mouth with, co- with coffee. So. <laughs> so it's extra dry and crispy. <laughs> so this says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They were caught up in tradition and they lost focus of who God was. And God said this to Israel several, several times in the Old Testament. We see that he continued to tell them, man, you follow all these laws. Even in Isaiah 1, he said, I hate your assemblies. And he started telling me all these things that, that maybe they were supposedly doing for him. But because they weren't doing it with a pure heart, God rejected it. You know, we think about Cain and Abel. Was Cain's uh, sacrifice accepted? No, it wasn't. Because he didn't do it with the right heart. So God is not interested in our lip service. He doesn't want our sacrifice. He doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You can sacrifice something that he never asked you for, or you can obey his commandments. Because that, according to Jesus, he said, If you love me, you follow my commands. And if our hearts belong to him, then our his commands are something we find joy in living out. Psalm 51 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So a heart that's humble, a heart that's repentant. So God is not looking just for our external actions. He wants these actions, but he wants them to be birthed from a heart that belongs to him. A heart that loves Jesus. So it's like, I, 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 I love studying like theology, rich theology. But if all I have my head filled with all this knowledge and it doesn't come to my heart and it doesn't inspire me to love Jesus, then I'm wasting my time. It's useless. It's vain. So as we grow in knowing Jesus, what's supposed to happen is that that understanding of who he is is supposed to stir up affection for him, stir up love for him. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's all about loving Jesus. And the way we love Jesus is that we follow his commands. Or, or that's the way that ends up living out. We, we love him from our hearts and the way that ends up being lived out in our lives is that we follow his commands. J.C. Ryle said, let it be a settled solution with us that in our own religion, the state of our hearts shall be the main thing. Let it not content us to go to church and observe the, observe the forms of religion. Let us look far deeper than this and desire to have a heart right in the sight of the Lord. Worship is from the heart. And as a worship leader, what we do here, uh, you know, I'm speaking as a worship leader, music itself is not worship. But music becomes an expression of worship. And the Bible commands us to sing. I'm not sure if you guys know that. Or even when the Bible says, praise the Lord, it's not necessarily the right of praising the Lord. It's actually a command. It's telling us to praise the Lord, us to, the, to declare his greatness. And we do that uh, by singing. God does not want our song. He wants our heart to be overflowed with love for him that causes us to sing. He, want, he doesn't just want obedience. He wants obedience that comes out of love for him. Uh, Martin Luther talks about something that's called evil obedience. And he talks about us doing things for the wrong reason or with the wrong motive. Um, 
It's a, a short story I might have shared with you guys. There was a, I'll say it quickly. There was a, there was a man that had a farm and he had a, a, a lot, he grew a large carrot. And he said, man, I'm thinking about my king because this carrot is so grand. My king is so amazing. I'm going to give him this carrot. And he went over to the king. He said, king, when I grew this carrot, I just thought of you because you're so great. And I'm going to give you this carrot. And the king was like, wow, thank you. That really touched me. He goes, you know what? You have touched me with this gift. I'm going to give you a gift. I actually own the farm next to yours. I'm going to give you that farm. And there was a, a worker in the king's court that said, man, if that's what he gets a, for a carrot, <laughs> I wonder what he'll get for a real gift, what, what I'll get for a real gift. And he goes over to the king the next day and he brought him a horse. He's like, oh, king, you are so great. Uh, uh, I just wanted to give you this horse. And the king was able to look into his, his motives and say, you know what? Yesterday, the servant gave me the carrot. Today, you're giving yourself this horse. When we, if we obey God externally, when it's not birthed, birthed internally, we are obeying for different reasons that are not the reasons that God, it's not worship to him. I mean, there's, <laughs> this is going to mess me up a little bit, but there are times that, so one of my hobbies that I don't get to do much is to play PlayStation. When, you know, if you're a bit, like Mark Driscoll said, you can have hobbies, but if you're a good man, you might not have time for them, you know? So I, I don't have a lot of time for this. So if I have a couple of minutes, I'm not doing it. Sometimes I just go in there. And it seems that every time Lori starts to think about everything else I could be doing except playing PlayStation. <laughs> so there have been times where I start thinking ahead. I'm like, what can I be doing so that I can knock those things out so I can get my 10 minutes fixed, right? So I'm not doing it to serve her. I'm serving my own purposes. I'm doing the same thing, but with the wrong heart. That is evil obedience. And I repent before you, baby. I'm sorry. I do that. Anyway, so we can, we can do the right thing with the wrong motives. And it's not pleasing to God. Now, I'm not talking about when we don't feel like doing something and we surrender our hearts and do it with joy anyway. That's not what I'm talking about. That is called maturity. Because we don't always feel like doing it. I'm talking about when we do it with motives that are not to serve God. We do it to serve our own purpose. God wants our love, our worship, to be from the inside out. God desires worshipers, not necessarily worship. But what do worshipers do? They worship. God commands us to praise. In Psalm 33, it says, It is fitting for the righteous to praise Him. But He's not looking just for our praise. He's looking for a heart that inspires this praise from the inside out. And another uh, J.C. quote says, What is the first thing that we need in order to be Christians? A new heart. What is the sacrifice God asks us to bring to him? A broken and contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? The circumcision of the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey from the heart. What is saving faith to believe with the heart? Where ought Christians to dwell? To dwell in our heart. Well, I'm sorry. Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts by faith. He says here in verse 7, back to verse 7, that it says, uh, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So, uh, like I said earlier, traditions are not necessarily bad. But he said that they were teaching as doctrine 
the commandments of man. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were lifting up their own traditions and making it equal with Scripture. And in some places, going over Scripture. And I find it fascinating that we look at other uh, religions, especially that ones that consider themselves Christians, and we, and we look at that their teachings and why we reject them is because, you know, in Catholicism, they have the Bible plus their tradition, their church uh, tradition that sometimes in their practice supersedes the Bible. In Jehovah's Witnesses, we have Jeho- the, the Bible, even though it's a distorted version, and also what the elders teach and the, the watchtower. You know, we have Mormonism, we have the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And we reject these because they are extra biblical, but yet sometimes we hold on to our own extra biblical teachings and teach them after the word of God. That makes sense? So we're doing the thing that they're doing, except we don't have a book for it. Sorry. I keep on forgetting which button goes where. Uh, Jaroslav uh, Patlikin says, Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition is a good thing. We can learn from our forefathers and the people that have gone before us and how they lived out their relationship with God. And it's okay for us to do that. But when we start to look at the dead religion of people and to follow that, then it's not tradition anymore. It's traditionalism. Uh, Kevin DeYoung said that tradition is a wonderful servant, but a horrible, but a terrible master. So here at City Church, we love tradition. We, you know, we read, we read the Apostles' Creed sometimes. Once, once in a while you hear one of our preachers mention some of the confessions of the old church and, and catechisms. We love deep theology. But all of these are tools that are supposed to stir up affections for Jesus. We are not supposed to make them equal with the Word of God. We want to be passionate about truth, but this truth should stir up our love for God. We have a, a, a uh, conviction here about expository preaching. We believe that expository preaching is the best way to communicate God's word within its context. And we're going to hold on to that conviction. But if someone else is doing it different, does that, are we going to tell them that they're not teaching the word of God? No, we can't do that. Now, can we judge the content of their message? That's another thing. But the style of preaching, or even, well, we, we've, I don't know if you guys ever heard the term worship wars, where churches have split over the style of music that they're using. Over a preference, churches have split. This is elevating tradition above the word of God. We even have some churches that have two services. They've had to have two services. Some people want traditional. Some people want contemporary. Or, you know, there's other traditions that we hold on to that we teach. Like, let's say, you know, a lot of us, we get up in the morning, we grab our coffee, we get our journals, we get our Bibles, and we sit under a lit, a lit lamp and a little comfortable chair, and we have what's called a quiet time, right? Good tradition, right? But let's say that somebody reads the Bible in the night. Are they against the word of God? No. But I've heard... <laughs> Legalist. No, I'm saying, but, you know, but these are the things. You know, I was talking to, to a friend of mine, and, and we were talking about prayer, and, and she was saying, I, you know, I, I feel like every time we pray, we should start with Thanksgiving. This is a tradition that I hold to. When I pray, somebody taught me this a long time ago, and I think it's good. And when I pray, I always start with thanking God just to condition my heart to realize all that he is and what he's done. 
And I asked her, I, I, I asked her, I said, let me ask you a question. Be honest. When you hear someone praying and they don't start with Thanksgiving, do you feel like they're praying wrong? And she said, you know, tradition. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, we hold on to these traditions and they're good and we could teach them and some are better than others to be, to be honest. But when people do them different, are we, are they sinning? And that's the question because if we, are accusing them of doing it wrong, maybe not as good, maybe they're better, or you know, maybe our way might be better, it's cool. But if it's wrong or anti-God, then we are being judgmental and judging people and teaching the commandments, the traditions of man above the commandments of God. So the religious leaders, uh, they were more concerned about Jesus' disciples' failure to wash they were uh, judging them, not according to the word of God, but according to oral, oral, uh, oral tradition. And they missed the Messiah they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. Jesus said that they were hypocrites because they worshipped him, not from their heart, but from external lip service. And, um, and they taught that the traditions of man were just as important as the word of God. They elevated traditions to be equal to the law. And now the Bible says that they made void uh, the word of God. So we adhere to God's word before tradition. Verse 8 says, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the command of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Listen to these words. You leave the commands of God to hold to the tradition of men. You reject the commandment of God to establish your tradition. Verse 11 says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you are no longer, you then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God and your traditions that you have handed down and many such things you do. Before we get into that, I, I, I felt the weight of something and I was preparing for this message that I knew it to be true, but I just never felt it as much. Think about it. The Ten Commandments, where all of our teaching about our God and his ways and his heart and, and, and all this... They, 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 everything comes out of the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, he chose to put honor your father and mother. Like I was feeling the weight of that this week. I'm like, the relationship between parent and child is special. And today, we'll, 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 we'll ignore the father part today. This is Mother's Day. We'll give, you, we'll give you guys your day. Honor your mother. When this, when the, when the, when the Ten Commandments was given to the people of God, was given to Moses for the people of God, this was given to remind them of who they were. They had lost their identity in Egypt. And he was establishing who he was and their, and how they are to find their identity in him. And in the middle of this, he said, honor your father and mother. So today's Mother's Day. And I'm not using this trying to manipulate my children. You know, maybe a little bit, but today's a day. Maybe you should do this all the time, but if you don't, and I'm not saying do it today and the next year, but start today. Be intentional about honoring your mother. 
Find a way to honor her. If you want to maybe think about something that she did that impacted your life, if she's still here, let her know. And if even if your mom is not here, honor her by thinking about her and sharing with someone else something that she did to impact her life. Like I remember one thing. I mean, there's a lot of things I remember about my mom. But I remember before I came to the Lord, my mom came to the Lord about maybe two and a half years before that. And I remember her being in her bed every night for at least 30 minutes to an hour reading her Bible. So when I came to the Lord, I was like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Not to, you know, like, we wouldn't want to make it a law, but just kidding. But it was a good tradition that I learned from her. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, I remember now she had this the serendipity Bible. I'm like, I haven't even thought about it. I don't even know what that means. And I got to look it up. Anyway, so, um, but she had this Bible. It was called the serendipity Bible. She's just there in her bed reading her word, reading her word. So anyway, yeah, take an opportunity today and not just today and the way for next year, but look, be intentional about finding ways to honor your mom. Let her know something about her that impacts you in a, in a positive way. We tend to look at the negative things all the time. Let's, let's, let's honor them today. So Korban was a Jewish tradition that allowed the funds committed for the care of parents to be pledged to the temple. So in other words, if a, a person said, I have, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I have these, these funds that I can help my parents on, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to pledge it to the temple instead. And a lot of times they did this with the wrong, well, I guess the, there's a wrong motive anytime you do something like that. But a lot of times the motive behind that was that when they pledge something to, to the temple, it's like it couldn't be used for anything else. So they protected themselves and also they avoided having to take care of their parents. How evil is this, you know? They did not want to take care of it. And it, it, it's, it's, it's sad. They did this intentionally. But they, you know, so what they did was this was a tradition. But what does the Bible say? We just finished saying the Ten Commandments says honor your father and mother. And they choose to find a loophole not to honor their father money by giving money to the, to the temple. Again, do we think that God have, has, have, do you think God received this offering as a, a fragrant, a fragrant aroma? I don't think so. Uh, Matthew Henry said, "When will men? When will when will men stop? Once they have made the word of God give away. Wait, I'm sorry. When will men stop? When once they have made the word of God give way to their traditions, these eager these eager imposers of such ceremonies at one at one." Ceremonies at first only made light of God's commands in comparison with their traditions. We say they made light of the commands in the prior verses that we were talking about. And it says, but afterward made void God's command if they stood in competition with them. So to me, made void means that you have removed the power and authority. So what what it's basically saying here that when we start elevating anything about the word above the word of God, and we take the authority from the word of God. We don't see, we don't live under the authority of the word of God. And we make void the word of God in our life. So we're, that's, we can do that with anything. But in here, he's talking about that the traditions that were supposed to serve them in how to serve God now became things that started to point them away from the word of God. So are we going to hold on to the traditions or are we going to hold on to the word of God? The word of God has ultimate authority in our lives. Jesus was not against tradition, like I said, but he was against tradition becoming an idol. 
We worship God from the inside out. And this offering that they gave the temple, I don't know if it came from there. So, um, like I was saying, with mothers, man, give your give give, give attention to your mothers these, you know, during this time. Um, the Pharisees were externally focused, and they tried to work things from the outside in. They thought they tried to fake it till they make it. They tried to if they do these things, they felt that they would be cleansed from the inside. But that's not the way it works. They lost focus, and uh, that 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 our worship is not something. That's external only. It comes from the inside out. So we are defiled by what comes out of our hearts. Verse 14 said, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that is going into him, a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He called all the people around after having this conversation with the Pharisees. He said, everybody gather out. I'm going to let you know this. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked them about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? But it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, uh, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Excuse me. So we do not sin, we, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. With the fall of man, death came to us, death came to our soul. And this is even our, we talk about a heart that's given to Christ and it comes from the inside out. Our sin comes from the inside out. So, I mean, um, Paul Tripp says, the acts of external behavior do not solve the problem. If your problem was just behavior, the law could provide rescue. But your problem is not behavior. Your problem is your very nature. Your problem is the essence of who you are. Your problem is you. Jesus came to rescue you from you, to rescue me from me, to deliver us from us. My problem is not first murder. My problem is a murderous heart. So, um, the, when they're talking about cleansing and doing these things on the outside, they didn't, they were, they weren't sinning because of what's on, on the outside. They were sinning because of what's on the inside. And I'm not, and I'm thinking that Jesus was saying like, hey, let's not try to avoid temptation. Yeah, it's wise to avoid temptation, but a temptation is what pulls the sin that's inside of us out of us. Um, James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Paul Tripp also says that the evil inside us hooks, hooks us to the evil outside us. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was talking about sin, he taught not about necessarily about the, he, he, not about the external sin. He talked about the heart that produced the sin. He 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 went much be, be, uh, deeper than external actions. He wanted to show that the problem was our heart. 
What is the heart of murder? It's anger. What is the heart of adultery? It's lust. Jesus is saying that man's problem is deeper than our actions. He isn't going after only our actions alone. He is going for our hearts and out of our hearts. That's what the actions that we see on the outside. He took the law and, and went deeper into it than just what we were looking at on the, on the outside. He also, uh, shows us that, that, uh, and with, with, with these lists of sins, he's also showing us that living for him requires radical obedience. It requires radical sanctification. It requires a radical surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. And it requires a radical surrender under his lordship. So all of these things come out from us. Um, I heard of an example someone used that he said, if I have a chocolate chip cookie and then I have two and then I have 20, is the problem the cookie? The problem is not the cookie. The problem is us. And, and like I said, there's a wisdom in avoiding temptation. There's a wisdom in that. But sometimes we think so much about the external that we forget about the internal. Um, there, there, you know, I, I read about, um, during, that during the monastic period where there were monks, a lot of them were doing these extreme fastings and stuff like that. And, and there, there might have been one that was, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live in a cave for, for, uh, you know, for five days without, without food or water. And people, what started to happen, people started, they started, people started going to visit them and saying, oh, let me see this guy that's living in a cave. And then he was like, oh, you're living in a cave? Oh, well, there's a guy over there that's living on a tree. And it was like their, 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 their pride would get stirred up. They said, I'm going to live in a tree next time. Oh, you know, I'm going to live here seven days instead of five. So they were trying to live a lifestyle to avoid all this temptation, but they continued to sin because sin comes from the heart of man. Like I said, we avoid temptation. We try to live wisely, but it's the, what's on the outside is not the source of our sin. It's what's on the inside. Verse 21 says, For from within our heart, within the hearts of men comes evil thoughts. All of us have evil thoughts. All of us have thoughts that we're just like, man, where did that come from? And it is our job at that moment, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the word of God, to be able to stop those thoughts. To ask in the Lord, hey, you know, and, and, and repent of those thoughts, and, and because we continue to think about these things, they all, they, then they actually cause sinful actions. But we have the power to do that with the Spirit of God living inside of us. Um, also, and, and, and he had a list here, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery. So I want to highlight some of these. Coveting. Coveting is a sin that we don't think about, even though it, it made the top ten also. Ten Commandments. Um, you know, so coveting is a sin. But in our American dream culture, this sort of stirs us up to covet. Or with social media, we see this guy has a nice sports car. I want that car. I want that car too. So we work hard to get that car. I mean, maybe not for everybody's sports car, but we see, we see what it is. We look at things and we have the desire. And, and I'm, I'm not saying it's bad to, to want things to take care of your family and all that, but it becomes sinful when these things start to rule us, when they start to rule our hearts. And we start to make decisions that go against the word of God just so we can obtain these things. Or they make us feel like if God is holding back from us or not taking care of us when we have these things. Or if we desire something that somebody else has, you know, the Bible talks about covering your neighbor, coveting your neighbor's wife. I mean, that's a sin, you know, that's probably double, but anyway. But you know, we, we, so we, 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 we have the, we have these sins that try to come out of us, but as we continue to renew our hearts 
with the word of God and become more and more like Jesus. We'll never be free from this until we get there. But we, we, the, the, the heart of God starts to overcome this heart of sin as we continue to grow in him. Also deceit. How many times do we omit little things strategically to be able to deceive somebody? How many times, you know, we, we come up with excuses to someone just because we don't want to be honest? How about this? How about how many times do we do that to ourselves? Deceit comes out of us and it's something that we have to learn to, to die to. Envy, slander, talking behind someone's back. Hey, I want you to pray for this person. Let me tell you what happened. You know? <laughs> we do that. We talk behind people's back. Um, foolishness. Um, I liked uh, Kevin DeYoung had a good... Uh, uh, a definition for this. He called it a moral moron <laughs> for foolishness. <laughs> the foolishness, it means senselessness, not taking things ser- seriously. Out of all these things, there's so many uh, different examples here. So in this list of sins, I'm sure that all of us were touched at least once or twice here. Because, but the, the point is that sin comes out of us. We believe that God, uh, I believe that God gave these long list of sins to reveal our own sinfulness and also to reveal the temptations that we have in our life. And this should humble us because when we realize that these things come out of us and that we see somebody that may not have done things the way we want them to, how dare we judge them for this when we have issues in our own life? When, when, when legalism causes us to judge other people, when we truly understand the word of God and the grace of God, then it causes us to humble ourselves and not be able to... If, if he has an issue, then I have issues also. So let us, be, let us not judge one another. Um, I mean, help one another, but not judge one another. So we recognize that when we experience salvation through Christ, when we experience the regeneration of the Spirit in our lives... When we experience justification through Christ, that we are no longer living with the wrath of God pointed at us. And we are living with the peace of God. We experience his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And the Bible says that in view of his mercy, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual worship, like in Romans 12. So when we think about the salvation and all that Jesus has done in our hearts and come into our hearts and he saved our lives, we should respond with lives of worship to him. We know that we are not saved by obedience, but we are saved for obedience. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved to be worshipers of Jesus. So these things we cannot do in our own strength, but as we grow in our relationship with him is the, are the things that, that come out of us. So we see that there's a demand in the word of God for radical sanctification. That this only comes by, by knowing him. Godliness is the result of a heart that belongs to God. And at the heart of the Reformation was a return to the word of God. The word of God as, as ultimate authority and away from non-biblical traditions. These non-biblical traditions have had taken over the church and are still taking over some churches today. The word of God got lost in the mid, of, in the middle of it. The gospel got lost in the middle of it. The heart of God got lost in the middle of all these traditions and Jesus got lost in the middle of all these traditions. But now we go back to the word of God, the truth of the word of God. And we see that they point to Christ. We believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe that the word of God has final authority. 
So deviating from it, whether we're adding to or taking away from it, or maybe even having a bad inter- interpretation of it, can be very dangerous because we lose focus of who God is. The, when, we, when we look too much towards tradition, we distort the heart of God and it leads us away from God. And we can confuse ourselves and even other people. The truth is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Tradition over the Bible is dangerous. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. We want to embrace the truth of the word of God. And with legalism, what happens is it starts to devalue the work of Christ and exalts the work of man. God is after your heart. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal his heart to you. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you a pure heart that's undivided towards him, that only lives to worship him and him alone. So you got to ask yourself, where is my heart? Do I elevate things above God or does, do my, does my heart belong to God? You know, um, what happens sometimes, and I think, I think I said this earlier, that when we become legalistic, we start to pull down the law of God so that we can be able to step over it. Because the truth is that none of us can do it. We needed Jesus to do us for it, uh, do, do it for us. And some people say, oh, when you stress the grace of God, you're lowering the law. No, we actually have a higher, perce- a higher perfect- perception of it. So if, 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 if this wall was, you know, let's say that we had a wall size, you know, 10 feet tall. If I work out for about a year, I'd probably be able to climb it. I've seen those ninja guys just climb up and all that. But if the wall is a thousand feet in the air, there's nothing I can do in my own strength to do that. That's how we see the holiness of God. Not this low, but very high. And because of that, we needed Jesus. We needed God to come down and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, out of appreciation and love for him and a heart that's filled with love for Jesus, now we live lives to honor him. Amen? So we got to ask ourselves, what rules our heart? God is not only after just obedience, but obedience that comes from the heart. So let's take a look at some application points here. Number one, ask the Lord to show you when and where you struggle with legalism. As I said earlier, we all struggle with it a little bit, some more than others. Where is it that you find yourself judging people? Where do you judge Christians according to your tradition that is not necessarily the word of God? Where is it that you see that the word of God says one thing, but you hold really strong to something else? And like I said, traditions are not bad. It's just we cannot put them above the word of God and we cannot judge others according to to our traditions. Pay attention uh, to what you see in in others and, and ask God to show you where your heart is impure. Number two, allow yourself to be known by God to others and yourself. And it's kind of weird, the wording of it, allow yourself to be known by God. I put it like this, but the reality is that God knows us. But let's pull off the masks. Let's be real before God. Let's be real before others and even before ourselves. Because the only way that God is going to be able to transform our hearts is if we come humbly before him, recognizing our need for him. If we hold, you know, if we, if we wear this, this mask, we're, we're being like the Pharisees. They missed God in the middle of it because they were 
just trying to, to do all these things and, and they felt better about themselves for doing these things. But let's not, let's be able to, to uh, uh, surrender ourselves and to humble ourselves before God, others, and ourselves. Also, do things that stir up awe in your life. I mean, when I, maybe I, I should have put awe for God. I mean, it's kind of cool to go to the mountains and that's awesome, but anyway, I'm sorry, maybe I need to say the way you guys understand it. Ah. I'm from New York, I say awe, so. But things that stir up awe of God, the Word of God, conversations with other people about God, worship music, even creation. When you go out there in the mountains, we can find awe of God there because we see that God created it. So let's be intentional about about doing things. If you know something's going to help you in your relationship with God, something's going to help to fill your your mind with understanding and, and to inflame your heart with passion for Jesus, Make the sacrifice to do this because this are, these are the things that fill our hearts with love for God. And I'm going to ask Brian uh, to come up. And the last one, not directly having to do with the message kind of, but honor your mom today. Be intentional about thinking about something, like I said. And if your mom is not here, then honor your mom by telling somebody else about something amazing about her. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to uh, read this quote, but I'm going to I'm going to read it. Um, it really struck me uh, when I read it. Um, it might you might feel like, oh, this is not me, but in a sense, it could be us. Maybe not to this extreme, but it's a quote by Vodi Bakum, and I'm also going to alter it a little bit just for for the for the audience. It says, "Do you want to see a picture of ruined legalism?" Take a man who has taken a vow of celibacy and given himself over to the priesthood, wears clothing every day to identify himself every day outwardly as other, as separate, as holy, to show the whole world that he is holy. Goes to ceremonies and rituals for the mass, handling the holy things that other people are not allowed to handle, all while abusing others in secret. That's the defilement of legalism. Going the extra mile so that the outside looks righteous, so that everyone who looks upon me sees righteousness, people bowing, genuflecting, kissing my ring because they believe that I am God's representative on earth and that they can get close to God by getting close to me, and yet I am defiled inside. That's legalism, it misses Christ. We might not be this extreme, but when we become legalistic and we get away from the word of God, we lose God in the middle of it. And a lot of it is focused on our external. And when we're focused on the external, we're not trying to fool God because, no, we can't. But we're trying to fool, fool others. Sometimes with legalism, we, we want to display a form of righteousness that doesn't exist in our heart. There are other things in our heart that come out of us that need Jesus.